0: Hi, this is not Arnold, but you should still listen to the 430 Movie podcast at 430movie.com. It's really fun. You'll like it. Beyond the rim
1: of the starlight, you'll find the Inglorious Trexperts.
2: Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're not listening to The Rebel and the Rogue, a Star Wars podcast, you should be. It's the podcast that made the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. Oh, man, that is like just some lame Star Wars humor. And if you like lame Star Wars humor, you're going to love The Rebel and the Rogue, the new podcast from the Electric Surge Network.
3: And welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Uh, I am your co-host, Joshua Miller, and with me as always is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Beautiful. Even better, because we're going to be talking about Commando 2. Right on. Uh, And with us to talk about Commando 2 are two of our friends, Joe Bigos and Josh Ethier. What's up? Hey, everybody. Uh, just so the audience can familiarize themselves with your voices, why don't you tell us why they might know you? Uh, I am Joe Begus. I
2: directed Almost Human, The Mind's Eye, and the upcoming Bliss and VFW.
0: Uh, I'm Josh Ethier, I started Almost Human, and uh, I'm Joe's producing partner and also uh, an editor of My Own Accord, having worked with Steven in the past as well. Right
3: um, and this will probably air... November, December, like when can people, Bliss will already be out by the time, what will people be able to to find that, will the Blu-ray be out yet? Maybe, it'll definitely be on Apple,
2: Uh, all that good stuff, the Blu-ray, because it comes out September 27th, so the Blu-ray will probably be like December or January, Um, and it'll be on Shutter around then, and then VFW, don't have an exact release date yet, but it'll actually might be coming out right around the time this podcast is sitting, and if not, there will be a release date and most likely a trailer if it's hitting in December. Nice, December. Excited. It's like September right now. got <laughs> a fucking backlog.
1: EFW <laughs> is an awesome movie. So both, everyone are should. Awesome. Yes, they are both awesome. Definitely worth. Oh, right, you guys out. have both seen both.
3: Yeah, well, so... I've seen the rough cuts of both. That's true. So I know the bliss I saw still had uh, the scene that I think is no longer there at the <laughs> beginning. Right? <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh, Jesus Christ.
3: Yeah, it's been <laughs> a while. I've been waiting for, to see the finish Which, not even time. the same fucking movie. Oh,
2: well, that cut was
1: awesome. Speaking
3: <laughs> of watching things, uh, last night we did something we have not done before on the show, which was all four of us watched the original Commando film. That's the way to go. You guys should do that. I know. Get a big fucking We don't party always going. deal with sequels, so <laughs> <laughs> it's not always an option. Um, let's talk a little bit about the first film. Uh, Steve, yes. you said you got some information, right?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I got a little bit of information. So it'll be interesting to talk about the cra- the, the movie, I never realized, had a pretty crazy history. Um, well, I don't know if it's so crazy for the 80s. <laughs> but the movie was announced in March 1985 with Schwarzenegger attached. And then April, all the casting announcements came out, like Danai Haida, whoever his name is. Pidea. And- <laughs> Pidea, yes. Pidea. I'm going to say every, I'm going to keep it going. <laughs> it's I'm your say trademark, every, your destroy,
3: mispronunciation of people's names.
1: Destroy every name. Um, yeah, so everyone was casted in April, and then May 20, and then they started shooting on April 15th, and then in May 22nd, they brought on Vernon Wells, and they fired the, the, the main villain from the film, which is rumored to be Wings Hauser, and I'm not 100% sure on that. Did they shoot anything with him? I believe he wasn't working out. Yeah, it was something like that. Because that's, you know, like April 15th, they start shooting. May 22nd, they bring in Vernon Wells. And then there was this article that came out talking about that uh, this movie has gone through five writers and they are three days behind schedule. And at that point, they were three to four million dollars over budget. In May. I mean, the story's pretty fucking cut and dry. I, yeah. was like, <laughs> I wonder, wonder, wonder what all they were doing with these new writers. And then, uh, yeah, and then July 18th, they wrapped. And and um, and I and then the movie came out in July 4th, 1985. Weren't <laughs> right. right.
3: we talking about last night, the idea that one of the producers went to go see First Blood yeah. Part 2 yes. and said they needed to, like, add more kills basically to the movie hence the entire third act of yeah Amanda. yes
1: because the actually the third act was going to take place on an island like um there was going to be a, a chase between bennett was going to be on a boat and then radon chung was going to be flying the seaplane and schwarzenegger was going to be on the wing of the plane he drops on the boat the boat crashes on this island where they're doing military testing or explosions going off everywhere and so schwarzenegger fights bennett on that island and that was supposed to be the the main ending. It wasn't supposed to have all the, that extreme body count. So I think that's why they went an extra month and went over budget. But the original death of Bennett, because they ended up shooting the Bennett fight scene like in a, in a basement at the studio because they ran out of money. But the, my, I love the original death scene of Bennett. They're fighting on this, like I said, the island with explosions going off and... Um, Schwarzenegger's character drives his knife into Bennett's throat so hard, the knife goes through Bennett's neck and comes out the other side. And still holding the knife, Bennett drives... Matrix drives the knife into the hull of a boat, a boat that's like sitting out there. So the knife is sticking into the hull, holding Bennett's neck, and there's a like a thumbtack holds a note on a bulletin board. And then boom, an explosion hits the boat, and Bennett blows up while he's pretty much like stuck I don't know into if that's the...
3: better than the classic uh, I like, yeah, pipe with steam coming <laughs> pipe out. pipe with steam
1: is pretty cool, but I don't know, man. I kind of like this fighting on an island of explosions. At
3: least
0: a knife is sharp. A steam yeah. pipe is not.
1: <laughs> well, Does... I guess they do start off with the knives. In the...
3: Does he have a one-liner, though, in the original?
1: Oh, uh, he says, fuck you, asshole. And then <laughs> well, that's I think it. the steam line was, yeah. like,
3: was Schwarzenegger improv that,
2: I believe, yeah, right? So, or just... Yeah coming up with it on set. Awesome. I think he would shoot, like they would shoot a bunch, like 10, 12 one-liners, like, at least in Predator. I remember mm-hmm. hearing that.
3: It's like a Judd Apatow movie, yeah. basically. Yeah. The crew's just like, it, that is yeah, not so... a very clever one-liner, though, just fuck you, asshole. <laughs> it stabs him pretty much. But
1: like I said, the movie, you know, was announced in February, came out that October, and grossed $35 million here and 40 overseas. So it made like, close to 70. Which in,
2: you know, 1985 dollars is like Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Seriously,
1: right?
2: Um,
3: Well, we're all obviously fans of Commando since we got together to watch it last night. As Joe noted, it's not a real deep movie. (laughs) Uh, I don't even really know how much I could describe the character of John Matrix in any detail other than just like, oh, he's a big guy. Well, Loves all the description daughter.
2: you need comes when it shows him carrying an entire fucking pine tree on his shoulder. One of
3: the great <laughs> character intros of all time.
2: Yeah, 10 seconds later, he's getting ice cream on his nose laughing with his daughter. <laughs>
3: Hand-feeding a deer, like out in the woods. Yeah. Very trusting on nature cliff. around him. a them. cliff, no
2: less. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's actually a pretty fucking complex character. If you look at that opening scene, he's got a lot going on. <laughs> There's
0: many sides to John Matrix.
3: Yeah. He is a Matrix. A matrix of character detail um well point being the idea of a sequel I'm just like yeah make eight of them I would have watched all of these growing up I'm sad they yeah. didn't make this movie but um, Steve what can you tell us leading up to part two here um it just seems that um this movie
1: came out and was a hit but it just seems like every other movie he was having coming out after this was a hit, also. So I think it just became this juggling act, also, of which sequel is he going to go to? But I don't know if we should get to that. Maybe after we just yeah, we can after it.
3: Well, yeah, because after this came out, this was what eighty five. Yeah, know what saying? yeah. It's like that was kind of when he was really starting to become the you know biggest movie star in the world
2: yeah and the sc- sequel scripts dated 89 so it would have been like right after twins and while he was shooting total recall
3: mm-hmm. so i guess yeah. well that
1: was the revision draft so i guess
3: um yeah the script we have is dated february 6 1989 it's written by stephen e de souza uh, w- with a revision by mr frank darabont mm. incredible um And for those who don't know, D'Souza, he was kind of a real go-to big action guy of the 80s. He did 48 Hours, Die Hard 1 and 2. Mm. Um, He only directed one movie that I'm aware of. incredible movie. (laughs) One of (laughs) Josh's favorites, Street Fighter. (laughs) The last film of Oscar nominee Raul Julia. (laughs) Oh, wait, did he win an Oscar or is he just nominated?
0: No, he was just nominated early. I believe he took the role. Nominated for Street Fighter, I, I mean, I would yeah. have been in for <laughs> yeah. Bison, for sure. I think he took the role for his kid, too. Right? Yeah, his kids were playing Street Fighter too, And they were like, Dad, you have to do it. And he was like, he knew that he was dying of cancer. So he did Street Fighter as, like, a gift to his children. Wow. wow. Which also, when you watch the movie, he's, like, the only one who actually seems like he wants to be there. Yeah. <laughs> so he's <laughs> lending all this gravitas to these lines. Like, he's doing, like, the Shakespearean, <laughs> you know, tragedy of M. Bison. It's kind of incredible. That's why the movies lasted so long for me, is just that performance.
3: <laughs> I will say I like Street Fighter a lot more than I liked the Double Dragon movie.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that was a giant mess. Yeah. Although
3: Double Dragon yes. has some pretty fucking killer production
2: design. Looks mm. like a... I don't know. I don't even know how to explain it. That and Super Mario Bros. look like they recycled the same sets together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: I recently watched those back-to-back. Jesus Christ. Not a great <laughs> double feature. <laughs> I wish we'd watched Street Fighter instead of Double Dragon. But... Let's get into Commando 2 here. Well, real quick
2: Steve, uh yeah. last night when we were talking, I actually thought that for the longest time until you corrected me that Die Hard was supposed to be Commando 2, but it was not. And you said that that was a rumor that you that you had heard before too and I think everybody mm-hmm. just thought that. Is there a reason why that's just people assume that Commando 2 is supposed to be Die Hard or Die Hard was supposed to be Commando 2? Because reading the script, too, they're, like, incredibly fucking different. They're not even in the same ballpark.
3: (laughs) I feel like that must have been – because the Die Hard sequels were all – I think every single one of them was originally a different script. And then some producer was just like, oh, we could just change this to a Die Hard movie. But, yeah, as we were talking about last night, because Die Hard Part 1 is based – is from a series of books – uh, the first of which was they made into a movie with Frank Sinatra in the '60s called The Detective, mm-hmm. and so it was going to be about this like old guy, I think visiting his daughter, not his ex wife, in the like Christmas party scenario.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. Well, the yeah, the first book was The Detective, and then it was a book called Nothing Lasts Forever, and yeah, they they are, they had the rights since like the early '80s for this book, and yeah, and they off like how. We did a Beetlejuice podcast, and they they wanted Sammy Davis Jr. at first for Beetlejuice, which is crazy. Is that they wanted they offered Frank Sinatra Die Hard first it's because how fucking old was he? Pretty old. Uh, he was old. <laughs> but Plus, the guy in the book in Nothing Lasts Forever was a six year old man having issues with his wife, uh-huh. and then he gets caught up in all the terrorist thing, and then they they took it to another old. Well, now actor. you can do
3: that in our post taken oh, yeah. like old man action <laughs> movies. Oh yeah.
1: And so yeah, so people yeah. This I heard the same thing Joe did. I forever and I was telling people too. Oh, Commando started off as yeah, I was like I saying it as fact. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that was totally Commando too. I, I thought so too. <laughs> I know. And it, but yeah, it was. Uh, it was based off of a book. Nothing lasts forever. And and then yeah, and it's very. I guess the buildings. I I don't know. I'm I'm wondering if the first draft of the script mostly dealt with the building.
3: Well, that, should we bring that up now before we even get into it? Because like. There's some quotes of D'Souza talking about the movie, and the movie he describes is like basically the same, but definitely different from, I think, before the Darabont revision, which was more of just the whole movie was in one building. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's how the telephone game happened over the years.
1: Yeah, because not to jump ahead, this like this is like Band at a Hand, where it has like four acts, mm-hmm. like every other Michael Mann movie, or like Rapid Good Fire. Reference. <laughs> um, although I would
3: have loved if Die Hard had yeah. a Schwarzenegger movie with Alan Rickman supposedly as the German, and he's like, I'm a mannequin, <laughs> <Vatican>, you <laughs> German bastard. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, it, it's just, it seemed like, uh, uh,
1: let me see if I have that quote near me, the D'Souza one, let you do. Yeah, he was explaining something kind of different than this draft, which made it look like, oh, I don't have it in front of me, unfortunately. Yeah, but, but yes. Well, maybe we can get to that. Yeah, we can get to Let's that. Just,
3: we'll get into the script. So the script begins the end of the first movie, which we just Saw last night, where uh, Matrix has defeated. I think the body count of Commando is like seventy or eighty people. If you actually count it up, he's just murdered like a whole, whole evil plantation full of bad guys. He's rescued Jenny, his daughter. Um, he's reuniting with Raydong Chung out by their tailspin style seaplane, uh, and then uh, his buddy General Kirby comes, and is they have a little scene where he's like, you know, this was the last time. And he's like, until next time. And then weird final line for the movie looks back and he's like, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as we noted, they take the time to get in the plane, the plane starts up, it kind of just goes off in the distance, and you keep waiting for it to, like, cut or freeze or credits roll, and we're just like, no, we're going to watch this plane <laughs> take off. It gets up in the sky, and then credits roll. Um, and then, I love this with the script, we kick kick off, so that ends, no chance, and then it's smash cut to opening title sequence, and then in parentheses, best read while listening to The Brazilian by Genesis. This is a song for people who don't know the song. It's a pretty badass song, by the way. It's, well, it's funny to see this written in the 80s, because I yes. feel like I would use that if I was making a movie, kind of like making fun of 80s action movies, like, oh yeah, this is like what you think of the opening credits on it, like but it's like, oh, so if you have the Invisible Touch album, toss it on and crank up the volume. I wonder if anyone who read this script did that. They're like, hold on.
2: I went and listened to the song, but not while I was reading it, but I was like, <laughs> alright, I just want to at least imagine what this is going to be. It, it would have fit.
1: And plus, back then, they had to like probably send their PAs to Sam Goody to go buy the freaking Invisible Touch. They couldn't just
3: <laughs> go on yeah.
1: YouTube and listen to it.
3: Um... All right, so then after the well, the credits are going through and we meet a guy, character you think is going to be maybe a bit more important than ultimately his in the movie, who's named Nestor Pedrosa, who's described as VIP, very important prisoner. Uh, he is being transferred. Latin. It's very, very specifically described as Latin in the script. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, he is being brought to a high security prison. We meet the warden who's like, welcome to hell, you sorry sack of shit. And then meanwhile, two Huey helicopters show up and then... Pedrosa's like hell welcomes you, not me. Uh and everyone there gets murdered. Credits end. And then we cut to the same mall, the Sherman Oaks Galleria, if people don't know the Sherman Oaks Galleria, uh before it was destroyed by an earthquake, um can be seen in pretty much every movie that shot in the mall in the 80s. I think we were trying to run through them last night. It's definitely it's Commando and Terminator 2. Fast Times at Ridgemount High. Well, shopping mall. mall. Yeah. We
2: inadvertently watched two movies with like no connection last night that happened to be shot at the Sherman Oaks Gallery just by chance. That's yeah. how fucking common <laughs> it is.
3: Um But uh we'll we're gonna read this scene here, because this is a pretty great way to kick off being reintroduced to our hero, John Matrix. Um so we're gonna start here, page seven for everybody. Uh we're inside a Let's see, what store do they say? It's just like a record store. And Jenny, who's played by Alyssa Milano, here I guess slightly older, uh, is talking to this cool kid from her school named Brad. Brad opens his jacket, directing her attention down. Interior, Brad's jacket lining, is an elaborate pharmaceutical warehouse. Coke, crack, weed, ups, downs, you name it, the Bradsters got it.
2: Oh my God, is that what I think it is? It ain't my Care Bear collection. I got shit in here Nancy <laughs> Reagan never even dreamed of. You fly with me, you fly for free. You fly solo, you pay. How about it, baby? Beats watching Bambi. <laughs> I don't think so.
3: Oh, because she said that she has to hang out with her dad tonight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she tries to push past him, flushed and angry, but he crowds against it or crowds her against the shelf. Hey, what's your problem? Uh, just let me
2: go. Oh, what, you gonna holler for Daddy. I bet even looks like Ward Cleaver.
3: Suddenly, a giant hand enters frame and grabs Brad by the back of the neck. That's right. <laughs> Tight on Brad as the giant hand turns him slowly around and he finds himself gazing up into the very pissed-off face of Colonel John Matrix. Brad's eyes bug out over the top of his cool shades.
0: In fact, when I wear a sweater, you can barely tell us apart.
3: <laughs> Mezzanine level, Matrix drags Brad from the music emporium by his ear scattering <laughs> shoppers right and left Jenny trails behind Brett behind Brett is hollering arms windmilling now get him off me he's crazy Two security guards who we recognize from Commando One. That's nice. They brought back the same security (laughs) guard. They didn't lose their jobs either. Good for them. Uh, Race up the stairs, see Matrix, and skid to a sudden stop. Oh, shit, it's him again. Better call SWAT. Godzilla's back. Matrix sees them and hustles Brad over. The guards cower at Matrix approach. I want this scum arrested. For what?
0: Trying to push drugs to my daughter.
3: There we go, the accent. <laughs> Brad wrestles out of Matrix grass. Uh, emboldened now that the guards are here.
2: It's your word against mine, asshole, and your word doesn't mean shit. I know, I know, my old man's a lawyer. These peons can't touch me, not without probable cause.
3: Probable cause? I'm afraid he's right. Matrix glowers at Brad. Brad gives him a nasty smirk. Matrix grabs Brad and lifts him into the air. He spins him upside down and starts shaking him by the ankles like a bag of laundry. Brad screams and flails helplessly as drugs of all description come cascading out of his clothes and onto the floor. The pile grows and grows. Matrix pauses and turns to the guards. Probable enough? The guards exchange a glance, then look back at Matrix. Works for us! Matrix drops bread to the ground. The guards move in and cuff him. Jenny looks around, mortally embarrassed, wishing she were invisible. All the teenagers in the place staring at her mouth, gaping. Uh, That's what I call a character intro. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's hilarious. I wonder if this scene was Darabont's, because that dude with the jacket lining full of drugs reminds me of that crazy makeshift bar that cat had in the blob. No, i, <laughs> yeah. I missed that shit when people would do stuff like that in the 80s
3: it was a date rapier time yeah. <laughs> um so then we cut to the car matrix and jenny are leaving she's embarrassed uh we said if you got to remember this song for later uh he bought a cassette of give me some lovin by the spencer davis group uh and then jenny makes a bunch of jokes about how this dinosaur music, Dad, <laughs> um, and then he pops the song on and is singing along. And then a helicopter shows up. When the side of the helicopter, it says McCarran Defense Industries, and we're reintroduced into General Kirby and. One of the more classic just kind of 80s action movie things where the old general shows up and is like, we need you back, protagonist of this movie. Um, and we also meet another <laughs> character, Paco Lopez, who's piloting the helicopter. Great 80s. These are- Names. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I guarantee you there's someone in the world named Paco Lopez. I've met Pacos before. <laughs> um, uh, he's an old friend of Matrix who's now an independent contractor, and both of them are working for this company, McCarran Defense Industries, run by a guy named Andrew McCarran, who Kirby describes as such. Andrew McCarran is much more than just a businessman. He's a true American patriot. And McCarran Industries is much more than just defense. Worldwide, their intelligence network's second to only the CIA. Uh, Kirby's like we need you for something but I can't tell you what Matrix will recall the last movie ended with him saying no chance and he's sticking by that Um Classic uh, hero move—he's got to resist the call initially. uh, So then things can go. Also noted in First Commando is great—is he resists the call? And normally, I feel other movies would have had a scene in between (laughs) where he's just like have like more character detail with him and his daughter, and then all of a sudden bad guys attack. But it's like. Two seconds after Kirby leaves in the first Commando,
0: he watches the helicopter fly away, and then literally smells a bad guy two hundred feet away.
2: Looks well, like the camera pans from the helicopter to the bushes where a gun pops. Up. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's
3: efficient. It's immediate.
1: Yeah, it's incredible. Um,
3: yeah, so Kirby goes without him, um, and then we cut to Kirby is on this mission. He's down in uh, like Costa Rica or something, the jungle somewhere. Um, And they get ambushed. And I just want to read this because I love this is in the script. Uh, They get ambushed by two trucks and the script has this detail. Um, The sides of the trucks drop away, revealing a quad 50 on each truck bed, manned by heavily armed teams a brief aside you don't see brief asides in the blocking of scripts that offer a brief aside a 50 caliber machine gun is one of the nastiest conventional weapons ever devised it will cut a man entirely in half you can't go more high tech but you certainly or you can go more high tech but you cert- certainly can't go more brutal well imagine four fifty caliber machine guns mounted on a single unit on the bed of a truck and you have one quad 50. multiply that factor of three uh one for each truck and you can and you have some idea of the incredible sheer brute destructive power of this ambush Like they used to say in Nam, quads don't just kill the enemy, they rearrange the fucking landscape. So modify your maps of Costa Rica. (laughs) Because the commando team is virtually vaporized, not just cut down by bullets, mind you, but blown to red dust before our very eyes, shredded to pulp by by a huge invisible thresher. There's no place to run, no place to hide. The surrounding jungle is turned into a clearing. There is nothing left standing. Thankfully, Stallone used that for Rambo 4. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and there's a little bit of that in Predator, too, yeah. the classic Gatling gun scene.
1: I love that history lesson, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think... It's like one of my favorite things about the Rambo novelization. It goes on for two pages describing his bow and arrow and has even pit like <laughs> sketches of it. It's so awesome.
3: <laughs> like, they get so Sketches, that's
1: nice. Yeah. <laughs> so
3: then um, so we cut to news footage explaining that Kirby and his team. Died. And then weirdly, we cut out of the news coverage to a hemorrhoid ad. Um, And then we cut, we show that Matrix is sitting there sad while this hemorrhoid (laughs) ad is playing in the background. And he's like, if only I'd been there, he'd be alive. Um, I'm not sure (laughs) what the juxtaposition there was meant. (laughs) To be really, although I did see a quote from D'Souza saying one reason he was excited about doing Commando 2 was he felt they like stifled a lot of the humor in the first one, which is weird because that movie is very funny. It is hysterical. (laughs) So maybe that's what he means. He's like, they wouldn't let me put my hemorrhoid jokes in there. I mean, maybe it's just a metaphor that he's sitting uneasily. Ah. (laughs) Yeah. So then Matrix goes to see McCarran. Um, McCarron tells him to fuck off. He, like, is outside the gate at his big high cl- complex. McCarron's kind of like a Ronnie Cox, right? Like, who would have played him? Yeah. That's kind of what I imagined.
0: Let's a just real... pretend it's Ronnie Cox. Yeah, yeah. Ronnie
3: Cox, or uh, uh, what's the guy from Ghostbusters and Die Hard? Uh,
1: at- William
3: Atherton. Atherton. Yeah, William yeah one of those classic, like, middle management dickhead types. He's basically
2: playing the character from Biodome.
3: Yeah, <laughs> Bio- yeah. Biodome. Yeah, um, <laughs> We meet Gunther, who's McCarran's, like, jerk head of security. We can already tell that him and Matrix uh, don't like each other. Um, we also meet our female lead, if you can call her that, Melinda Taff, who's the legal counsel for McCarran, who is described as brainy and beautiful, looks great in glasses. <laughs> Very important. Um, also, Alyssa Milano's character, she described when uh, Jenny, when it
2: first sees her, it's like, she's really come up as a good looking girl. <laughs> <And> it's like, <laughs> did we need that?
0: <laughs> Very important. Very important. Stevie D just blowing coke at yeah. the Sherman Oaks Mall. <laughs> she's got
3: to be beautiful. <laughs> I I really hope he wrote this movie in the food court at the Sherman Oaks Gallery, <laughs> sucking down that Panda Passion tea, yeah. <laughs> drinking an orange Julius, and eating some Sbarro. Um, so, Matrix decides he's going to break into the complex after he calls out that that their security oh, yeah. sucks,
1: which is pretty funny.
3: Uh, and there's lots of good stuff, and it's yeah. like it's too much to describe. Yes. Uh, some highlights is he runs up behind a one of the security guards and he says, he grabs the guy and he's like, do you have good workman's comp here? And the guy's like, "Uh, yeah, I guess, good. And then like, you know, (laughs) proceeds to fuck him up. Um, Kind of the big... Set piece of the set piece is he gets inside a dump, like, he pushes a dumpster and climbs inside, and the dumpster is just kind of this, like, juggernaut going, like, f- goes down several levels and is just, like, crashing through everything. Kind of like
0: the truck in the first one. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's a
3: great callback to that. There's definitely a lot of, like, callbacky y things. You know what Matrix is known for is pushing heavy things downhill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, and then we cut to McCarran and his guys who, like, they think a whole team of people are infiltrating the complex. And he goes into his office and Matrix is just, like, sitting there behind his desk. Um, uh, and it's basically—oh, he also—he he steals some paper and we see him send a fax. He writes something on it. We don't know what it is. But then when we cut to the office, they get in there and the fax is coming in. And McCarran picks it up and written on there just says, like I said, your security sucks. <laughs> Um, So Matrix is in top form here.
1: I love McCarron's next line. He's like, I don't know whether to have you shot, prosecuted, or put you on the payroll. (laughs) I love that.
3: Well, it turns out he puts him on the payroll. Uh, John Matrix is hired as a security consultant to revamp their entire system, uh, install new stuff, uh, and train all the guards. We get cut to a scene where they're doing, like, calisthenics, and there's one, like, overweight guard he has described who's having a hard time doing jumping jacks and the guard says to him he's like too much linguini, ha <laughs> uh and matrix replies i'll give you my locale recipe um he's so considerate <laughs> another great set piece where and i just i just learned this term reading the script i was unaware that uh those, like, training courses where you go through, like, a makeshift town and, like, people are popping out and some of them are good guys and some are bad uh, bad guys and you're not supposed to shoot the hostages, that's called a Hogan's Alley. Oh, yeah. I only knew that from the NES
1: game. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was a, one of the first light pistol games anyway so learn
3: something (laughs) new every day um so the people he's training are not doing good they're shooting lots of hostages matrix Mm -hmm. is yelling at him somebody's like you think you can do better and he's like yes i do and we cut to him holding an uzi in each hand and smoking a cigar just going through i I love the idea of these action movies that you can like precision shoot with uzis and stuff (laughs) Uh, but he's shooting all the bad guys never hits a single hostage because john matrix is that badass um more shit with him and Gunther we know a fight is eventually brewing kind of a weird little side scene where Lopez uh brings his son Tony over to have dinner and it's sort of like a weird setup date for Tony and Jenny uh and he's like real dreamboat he's excited about it Uh, and not to spoil anything but this goes nowhere (laughs) We never see Tony again. (laughs) Um, Poor Tony Lopez. (laughs) But as we will see later, it does become relevant that um, Lopez is a father. Because there are kind of two weird (laughs) themes they keep going back to over and over in the script. One is this weird like anti-drug 80s thing. They refer Mm. to Nancy Reagan a lot. Yeah, in this movie. Because she
1: had that whole campaign in the 80s, say no to drugs. Yeah. And Schwarzenegger was like a part of it. So he'd pop up on the videos. That's what I was going to
3: say. Very much this yeah. feels like someone, clearly Schwarzenegger, was like, I really want this movie to. Every now and then, I'll like give a little mini speech about how drugs are bad. You Mr. get to... Schwarzenegger, you smoke pot and pumping <laughs> iron.
2: <laughs> no,
1: there's a, there's a lot of, those. but oh no! What I was gonna say is like, don't forget like, remember Lethal Weapon Two had that whole apartheid thing and the tuna fish, and Emilio Estevez and Men at Work had the whole toxic waste thing. So it was kind of like a big thing in the eighties to like. My get favorite into. thing in
3: Lethal Weapon Two, though, with all the apartheid scene, is there's a scene, the one scene where they're, like. Our characters are like really getting mad at a racist South African guy. Um, Mel Gibson is the one delivering the speech and Danny (laughs) Glover is just like sitting next to him. And I'm like, man, they really took away all of Danny Glover's like good stuff in this movie and just gave it to Mel Gibson up to the point where they're like, you know, who should be really upset about racism against black people. The white guy. <laughs>
0: who's not very upset about racism. No. <laughs> oh, the like 2019 I Twitter, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: um, okay, now we really start getting into the story, though. There's a guy named Trent who's not that important. We'd met before. But Trent has a hot date, so he's leaving, and he has a shipment coming in that they hear about after he left so matrix goes to pick it up and it's like a bunch of crates and one of the crates falls over and dun 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 there's drugs inside um and matrix gets busted by customs and we cut to him in jail and he gets busted out by melinda who recall recalls the legal counsel for mccarran looks great in glasses yes <laughs> looks great in glasses very important i assume she's wearing glasses <laughs> in the scene um uh, And then on the ride home, like, she's supposed to be taking Matrix home, but he's, uh, oh, set up earlier, one of the security things is that all of the guards are basically giving, like, tracking devices, so he's got his, like, little thing, and he figures out where Trent is on his hot day, and he's in some club, and we have this whole great sequence, we won't read all of it, uh, but we will read some of it here, but he he gets himself, uh, he like attacks the bouncer to get himself in. There's kind of like a weird moment here where it's like he's some sort of Robin Hood sticking up for all the people who will get have to wait in the line outside of clubs and aren't getting let in. Mm. Those so he, poor people. I know. So he roughs up the bouncer and then lets everybody else in here. And um, now let's read this scene on page 45 here for you guys where Matrix encounters the head bouncer here. Um, So, Matrix comes to the stairs leading to the upper level, just as head bouncer comes down, blocking his way. Private
2: member wants you out of here. Then I guess we have a problem. No. You have a problem.
0: The
3: the other three bouncers suddenly materialize at the compass points, encircling him. Matrix glances around.
0: I have no argument with you.
3: I
2: got
0: one with you. Now make like smoke and drift away.
3: (laughs) He gives Matrix a shove for emphasis.
0: I'm saying this dangerously, by the way. (laughs) That's a bad idea. Oh, yeah? Why is that? Smoke gets in your eyes.
3: (laughs) Wow! (laughs) You always got to do the one-liners with the accent. That's that's (laughs) That's the Oh Wham, Matrix lets the guy have it right between the eyes with a stunning blow. The bouncer hits the wall so hard the light fixture above his head bursts. He shakes his head to clear his vision, showering bits of glass off his head.
2: Mister, you just made the endangered species list.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, then a big fight breaks out. Um, Schwarzenegger has a great one-liner at the end of all much of their fighting where he's like, I don't know why they called them bouncers. They don't bounce. <laughs> <laughs> um, Trent gets away. He runs up to the top of the building. Um, wonderfully dorky joke where he's thinking of jumping from that building to like the building next to it, uh, and looks up and there's a Nancy Reagan just say no billboard. So he thinks better <laughs> of his jumping. Um, I think it's worth noting
0: that everything that you have already discussed in this movie is only up to page forty-six.
3: Yes,
2: <laughs> this is an epic. Of it is a bonkers movie. Out of one twenty-five, not ninety pages. Um,
3: <laughs> as far as like repeating classic bits from the first movie, Trent. Uh, or Matrix gets up there grabs Trent by his like tie and he's dangling him off the side of the building and Trent's like pull me up for the love of God pull me up and Matrix now looks at the just say no billboard and goes no and then lets him go (laughs) (laughs) Uh, although he falls into a dumpster he doesn't die Uh, Um, lots of dumpster diving in this movie yeah (laughs) hot dumpster action um so then, Matrix goes and confronts McCarran at a party. Uh, oh, big thing is they keep talking about how McCarran's this, like, patriot. Uh, and McCarran's like, don't question my patriotism. Patriotism. There are circumstances here you can't possibly guess. More levels to this than you know. Um, and McCarran's basically like, you know, I'm too powerful. You can't, I don't care that you showed up at my party. You can't do anything to me. He's like, you should just, like, go to jail on those drug charges from er- earlier. Otherwise, I'm going to destroy your whole family. Um, and then there's a whole thing where they leave the room, and Melinda goes back and realizes like she, she'd had a tape recorder earlier in the movie that she's kind of taking her own little messages on. And dun dun dun, she'd left the tape recorder recording. She recorded McCarran. Uh, saying all this bad stuff uh, and now realizes that she's working for a villain. Um, and then meanwhile, Patri- Matrix gets pulled over by the cops and they open his trunk and they find Trent dead inside and we realize that Gunther had found him after the dumpster and murdered him. He gets arrested again. Again, we're only, what, 40-some pages in and Matrix has now already been arrested twice. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Melinda shows up to get him out twice. Um, oh, I should know, before... I uh, can't believe I almost forgot this. Before he actually finally gets arrested, he, like, makes it – he's, like, running from the cops and gets back home. Um, and Jenny comes running out, like, no, dad, and the cops shoot her. So now Jenny's in a coma. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, <laughs> Matrix gets arrested. Uh, Melinda shows up again. Uh, they go before a judge. Um, And she's trying to be like, I have this tape recorder, and surprise, surprise, uh, it turns out that the the judge is in the pocket of McCarran. Of course. So... Uh, he won't give Matrix bail, and he uh, sends Melinda to jail, too, saying she's attempting to tamper with the judicial process. Uh, then, before, before the shit hits the fan, Matrix delivers a little mini-speech, uh, of which a tidbit of is, my family came to this country because it represented something, a way of life, a promise. But that promise is hollow. This country means nothing. If men like you and McCarran can buy, or if men like McCarran can buy men like you... Um, So the Matrix attacks the bailiffs, frees Melinda, he grabs the judge, the judge is like, give it up, Matrix, you'd need a battering ram to get through that, referring to this window, and he's like, you're right, and so he uses the judge as a battering ram and smashes him through the window. Um, Oh man, there's a whole bonkers action sequence where he like, it's kind of Jackie Chan style is like... He, like, screws up and is, like, falling all the way down this hill and sliding off things and just magically lands on top of the car that uh, Melinda and the bad guys are in. <laughs> uh, let's see. There's a fun little bit of action here that I'll just read myself where uh, he's fighting a guy named Burroughs. Uh, and a city bus roaring up the street towards them. Matrix gives, Mur- gives Burroughs a grin. Lend me a hand, will you? Matrix snatches the handcuffs off Burroughs' uniform belt, clicks it shut around uh, Burroughs' gun hand, and with a smooth pivot locks the handcuff onto the bus as it hurls past. Burroughs slams off the side of the bus and has spun around. Um, Burroughs stands, gazing numbly after the bus, then raises his arm into view, gazing in horror at the ragged stump where his hand used to be. What, no applause? Um, This script just has so many (laughs) one letters. Uh, McCarran now still has Melinda uh, held captive. Matrix agrees to bring the tape to the complex. Um, but before that, uh, his scene basically just for you, Josh, here, where Matrix goes to see Jenny in her coma in the hospital. Um, interior of Jenny's room, dimly lit, she lies unconscious, her breathing. Uh, Shallow wires and tubes uh, hooking her up to machines, long beat, a shadow looms over her fragile form. Matrix stands over her, his fatherly heart breaking. He sits down and and is silent for a time, push in slowly as he speaks.
0: We thought this would be a good place to raise a child, your mother and I, so we came to this country. Jenny, you find it so easy to forgive. I find it so difficult. You are the best and gentlest part of me. If you die, I will have no gentleness left. And then, God help them. God help them all.
3: <laughs> we realize that Matrix, so immovable, so fierce, is holding back tears. He takes s- her small hand tenderly in his. I promised
0: you I'd never go back to war, but a war has come to me. I have to break my promise. Please forgive me.
3: Matrix leans over her, gives her a gentle kiss, and whispers fiercely in her ye- ear I'll be back. Matrix tears himself (laughs) away from her and they gotta fit it in there and moves to the door. Uh, Anyway, he leaves and then we like pull in on Jenny and she starts waking up. Daddy? Um, Then Matrix goes. Gives McCarran the tape that has the recording of him saying all this stuff on it. Uh, they go to put the tape in and play it, and Gimme Some Lovin' by the Spencer Davis group starts playing. We realize it was that tape he bought at the Sherman Oaks Mall. Matrix attacks. All hell breaks loose. Uh, he does one of my favorite Schwarzenegger things. I feel he, do- he definitely does in Total Recall. Maybe also does in The Running Man, where he, like, uses a guy who's attacking him as, like, a human shield to, like, yes. block everybody else's bullets.
0: Definitely in Total Recall. <laughs> yeah, it is Total It's kind of cool that it was here first instead of all that. that... Also, that guy inadvertently does it in T2 <laughs> Yeah, <that's right. laughs> by the soda machine.
3: And so here is what we'll maybe talk more about it when we're done, but kind of alluding to what D'Souza has originally described, what the movie was about, which was basically the idea that he builds the most high-tech, impenetrable fortress when he's the head of security and then himself has to break into it uh So there's like a whole thing where he's like, there's like a hallway full of lasers and he doesn't know how to get past it. So he ends up ripping all the mirrors off in the bathroom and like tapes them to a janitor's cart that he's like hiding inside of. And the lasers are like bouncing off the mirrors, just like shredding the bad guys and cutting them in half. pretty good idea. Uh, And then once he gets out there, he says to them, shouldn't smoke, (laughs) bad habit. (laughs) That's great. Um he fights Gunther. It's finally the Matrix-Gunther fight. Like, a bunch of debris falls on Matrix. He's got a rocket launcher at this point. Oh, uh, he's,
1: got, he's gotten into their armory, so yeah. there's the classic armory scene, but in this building. Uh, Sorry. Gunther Gunther's <laughs>
3: standing over him, and he's like, say goodbye, Matrix. Goodbye. And we reveal that he's been pointing the rocket launcher at him the whole time. Uh, shoots him with the rocket launcher. Gunther dies. Um, McCarran gets away in a Huey. He jumps up and grabs onto the landing gear. And then... He is holding on to the landing gear of a helicopter for much longer than you would ever expect. It's almost like the, like, Darkman scene, except he's, like, holding onto it with his bare hands as opposed to hanging on to a wire in Darkman. Um, They're trying to shake him off flying over downtown, and that's when we reveal that General Kirby isn't dead. He's one of the bad guys. Dun, dun, dun. But Kirby's still like, you know, Matrix, you're the best. Join our bad guy team. You don't understand what we're trying to do. Uh, they try to shake off Matrix. It doesn't work. Um, he manages to reach up and grab McCarron in the helicopter and th- pulls him down. Um, <laughs> McCarran goes head first into the Huey's rotors. Splat. McCarran, Matrix gets back up in the helicopter. They ask, where's McCarran?" He went to pieces um uh, mm. matrix pulls the pins on all the, the grenade pins on the pilot and throws them out and he blows up and waka waka he doesn't really know how to fly um uh, i'm leaving out a lot <laughs> of the melinda stuff in this because she's a terrible whiny cliche like 80s female lead character uh, where she's constantly just like, "You're crazy! How are we gonna get out of? Oh my god!" But she is a voice of reason if you
2: think about the ridiculous situation That's she's right. actually in.
3: <laughs> yeah, so like, there's no way you can pull this off. It's like, like pretty just watch me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Very realistic portrayal. I can
3: do anything. On magic. Um, they jump out of the helicopter into the water. Uh, now, Matrix has to sneak into Kirby's base. Um, at this point, we're still at only, like, page 80. <laughs> That's
1: what I mean. Now this is, like, the fourth act almost. Yeah.
3: <laughs> it's like Canterbury Tales is just broken up into some of these separate stories. Um, the first one's, like, 84 minutes or something, I think, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was gonna, I forgot to look that up before. Um, a a says... lot of stuff happens in that movie, mostly because they just don't mess around in act one. It's just like, <laughs> boom, now he's off. Um, yeah, act one is the credits. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's about eight minutes of act one, and then that 30 minutes of just death at the end.
3: <laughs> but he sneaks into Kirby's base. He meets up again with Lopez. Uh, they kind of have a whole thing. Um, Lopez basically explains what's going on, uh, which is uh, snippet of his line here is that They're running guns for Contras, man. All this shit's gonna wind up in Nicaragua so the homeboys can fight the good fight. We're exporting democracy to the third world, dig it? Um, I should be doing this in a really offensive Latino accent, but I will not. I've been <laughs> contemplating
2: if I should uh, do yeah. that in this Lopez scene.
3: Well, I think it would sound a little bit like, you know, we've been exporting democracy <laughs> to the third world, dig it? That's why you can <laughs> oh, certainly... Also, sounds like he's a hero. He's giving democracy to poor countries. Yeah, I don't know. well, <laughs> like part of the thing, Kirby That's and, sort of an
0: American thing these guys, yeah. yeah these guys,
3: you know, these are the kind of bad guys, like uh, the guy from, you know, Black Panther, who he, he thinks he's doing it for a noble reason. <laughs> when, it's like when Congress cut military aid... Kirby wouldn't give up the cause. He took his act underground. Pedrosa, who's the bad guy from the beginning, got our guns into Nicaragua and we got his cocaine into the United States. Kirby took a percentage of the drug profits and used it to buy more guns. But then Pedrosa got himself busted and the supply lines dried up. So that's why they had to bust him out of jail so they can keep this thing going. So they can keep fighting uh, in Central America. This was all during the, like, what was that guy's name? Noriega, the Mm -hmm. dude that, we deposed in Central America. Um, But Matrix is still kind of a good guy, so he agrees to help, or Lopez is still a guy, so he agrees to help Matrix get down to Panama. Um, Got a scene here on 97 where we get a little bit of, we all understand the the dad aspect now here, uh, where the plane flies through the night, interior. Uh, Matrix is... Matrix is huddled in the freezing cargo bay, cradling his newly acquired M-16 and wearing a fresh-from-the-box flak vest. He speaks softly into a headset to Lopez, who is in the cockpit.
0: Paco. Yes? (laughs) (laughs) You worry about your boy? About raising him, right?
2: Yeah, sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I worry about my Jenny. I want her to be healthy and strong. But there are so many bad influences... Like drugs. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know what your problem is? You're a crusader. You think you can take on the world, change the way things are. You know what that makes you? Pause. Softly.
3: Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so good. Uh, then we have actually a scene I really love, which one of the many things that would have been great if they'd made this movie, where we see Pedrosa's, like, no context. We join Pedrosa, and he's, like, in the jungle running around, Uh and he's, like, shooting guys. And then we eventually realize he's having a paintball fight with, like, his own men. And then we also realize his men are, like, obviously letting him win because he's just some rich idiot. Uh, but then one of the young sh- soldiers doesn't get it and shoots Pedrosa with a paintball gun. And then Pedrosa abruptly yanks out his actual pistol and shoots the kid in the head. <laughs> um, and then we cut to Matrix. He's now in Panama. He meets some villagers and a priest and is bonding with them. Um, and they agree to help him break into Pedrosa's compound. We've got another group scene here. Um, exterior, dirt road day. Oh, the guards see like a peasant wedding coming close. It's like the peasant wedding procession March... The peasant wedding procession marches slowly up the main road, looking just as before priests leading the way, musicians playing, etc. However, the more observant audience members might notice that the veiled bride now looks unusually large. In fact, she seems to have grown about a foot and a half. The procession approaches a formidable roadblock of Pedrosa's soldiers. A truck mounted Quad 50, one of the three from the massacre, is parked across the road. The soldiers regard the villagers with amusement, and often officer steps into the road to block the procession, while his men form a loose ring around them. Note, the following dialogue is delivered in subtitled Spanish.
2: Uh, you know what you're doing here, priest? Oh, wait. It's not, he's not Spanish, right? You know what you're doing here, priest? You know
3: this road is forbidden. I think they're all Spanish. <laughs> oh, they are? Yeah. It's all
2: good. A simple wedding. We
3: mean no offense. One soldier nudges another, indicates at the bride. Now here's a bride for you. A fine woman built like an ox, perfect for working in the fields and bearing children. They step up and try to cop a few fields. The hulking bride evades them, coyous and coy and skittish. Please,
1: we'll turn back. Not so fast.
3: He crosses the bride, peering intently at the white veil. Is he suspicious? The villagers exchange uneasy glances. Not before we've all had a chance to kiss the blushing bride, <laughs> eh, amigos? <laughs> this brings a nasty round of laughter. The officer grabs the bride around the waist and pulls her roughly to him. He throws back her veil, and close up on bride, Matrix glares from beneath the veil, a stoke he clenched <laughs> in his teeth. Why would he have a cigar already? <laughs> it would burn through the. Thumb. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: and then he yells at him. Pucker up, asshole.
3: <laughs> Wham! He nails the officer with a roundhouse punch between the eyes that literally sends him flying. And before the others can react, an M- M-16 whips up from the folds of the wedding dress, and the blushing bride blows them away with rapid bursts of gunfires. Uh, the soldiers are dead before they hit the ground. Uh, and then there's, like, whole storming. Uh, as I have my note here is lots and lots of action. Thanks, me. (laughs) so detailed. Uh, But they're busting (laughs) in to uh, Pedrosa's compound. Um, There's a cool sequence where I'm imagining it looks kind of like a cornfield, but it's like a cocaine, the coca plants field where they're like hunting him through uh, all the coca plants. And then uh, he comes face to face with Kirby. Kirby, actually, I won't read any of this. It's basically, the same stuff Lopez had said before about why he's doing this is because the spineless cowards in Congress like cut off his funding to keep fighting uh, communism. He feels that once communism gets a hold in Panama, it's just going to turn into red dawn, I assume, and they're going to evade America.
1: Um, oh, he's you're poisoning America with drugs. People are dying. He just keeps Matrix all this says. drug
3: stuff. It's yeah, so much
1: drug talk in this movie.
3: Uh, And they're facing off, and then there's a scene here where uh, Lopez has been sneaking up behind Matrix unnoticed, Uh, and he says, John, Lopez fires, Matrix takes the round in the back, he arches and screams, As a huge ragged hole erupts between his shoulder blades in a spray of blood, Pedrosa scambles away, Uh, and then... Oh no, Matrix is dead. And they load Matrix onto Lopez's plane. I'm sure the audience will never suspect that maybe something else is going on here and that our hero has not died before the movie is over. Uh, Surprise, surprise, once they get in the chopper, we realize that Matrix was just playing dead and that Lopez has shot him with a paintball. But I like to imagine knowing how the first movie was made, that the way they would have shot it, it wouldn't look anything like a paintball. Nothing paint, like a paintball. Like just blood <laughs> yes. with a spring everywhere. But then when we show him again inside the chopper, it's just like a different color and it's just a splatter on his chest. Um, Though I do like he got the paintball gun from the soldier that Pedrosa had just shot and, like, left lying dead in the field. Um, And then they debate about whether or not Matrix knew that Lopez was sneaking up behind him, and he's like, I knew you had something in mind. We're both fathers. Us dads got to stick together. (laughs) Again, furthering the uh, father theme running through this movie. Uh, So they're flying away. uh, Matrix decides that he's going to like rip open their fuel line to dump fuel all over the coca field or coca plants so they can't actually get away. Um, Then we have a whole thing where Lopez calls back to the general and he's like, general, I seem to have developed a serious problem here. What's the nature of your problem? And then Matrix gets on the line, me. (laughs) Um, Then let's see here. Uh, oh yeah, this is fun. He like sets the coca field, cocaine fields, uh, on fire, and it's described. Soldiers in the field are ripped off their feet and hurled through the air as the world goes nuclear white. Long lens as Pedrosa's entire valley goes up in the biggest explosion ever captured on film. Um, that was really just the part I, I like when scripts really get into like <laughs> you have never terrible. seen action like this. It's very easy to do when you're just the writer. <laughs> The most expensive thing ever captured on film. Um, <laughs> you can't win them all with the one-liners, but then Matrix uh, line here is, somebody here order a plane load of cocaine? <laughs> 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 um and then he's facing off again with suicide uh, with uh, Kirby, and then somewhat unexpectedly, Kirby commits suicide. He abruptly raises his automatic, jams it in his mouth, and pulls the trigger. His head explodes, raining bla- brains and blood all over the room. No! Uh, Matrix yells, cradling his ruined body. Uh, but now everybody is dead here. Um All right. Actually, I want to, jumping back before he uh, blows himself up. I do like this as far as, there's a lot of stuff in this too. I forgot that he does say it once in the first commando where they talk about the fact that because normally in Arnold movies they don't acknowledge that he's obviously foreign, but every now and then, like in commando, it says that he was from East Germany, uh, and like when he yelled at the judge earlier. There's a thing where he's talking to Kirby. Um And his base was like, because I believe in the words and you don't. And Kira was like, words? The Constitution of the United States. I first read it when I was a boy back in East Germany, as everyone does in East Germany, (laughs) sitting around reading the U.S. Constitution. A handwritten black market copy. The words carried greater meaning for me than any I've ever seen. They spoke to my heart. They're pure and simple, noble and strong. The finest words I know. And you pissed on them. (laughs) Anyway, now Kirby's dead. Uh, and then very abruptly, we're just suddenly at the end of the movie, much like we were in the first one. We want to read this final scene here when he's reunited with Melinda. No Jenny, though. We saw Jenny wake up from her coma, and then we, I guess we just assume... Oh, we left
0: her in America. Yeah, She's exactly fine.
3: She's fine. Probably no <laughs> brain damage or anything. Um, so at the end, after Matrix M- was like, no, and cradling Kirby's ruined body... Angle widens slowly out as we dissolve to Exterior vil- exterior Villa Day Angle pulls slowly back Lopez and Melinda are huddled in the driveway As the villa burns Matrix emerges from the flaming ruins of the house He walks over to them and helps Melinda to her feet What now?
0: Now we go home
3: Angle continues widening, pulling back into an aerial shot As the three of them limp down the driveway Gonna be a long walk
0: It'll be worth it.
3: <laughs> Camera floats away until the entire valley is merely a scorched hole on the face of the planet, and our survivors are mere specks in a flaming landscape, and a pall <laughs> of black smoke obscures the horizon. Fade out. The end. It'll be worth it. <laughs> Great last words. A long walk
0: back to America yeah. from Panama. <laughs> yeah.
3: We can do it, you guys.
0: They would have been stopped at the border, all these immigrants.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, he'll give a speech about the Constitution and how he read it as a boy in East Germany. Um, So then what happened, Steve?
1: Well, okay, well, I found, um, so in 87, um, DeZouza was talking and he said, uh, because they were asking him what's happening with Commando 2, and he says, Commando 2 takes place entirely in L.A., It's a very urban story. It's not going to have huge armies. It'll be more like a thriller (laughs) than a war movie. One thing I'm going to have fun dealing with is notoriety. If you believe Commando really happened, the character would have 15 minutes in the spotlight. The movie begins with Colonel Matrix discovering that he is momentarily notorious. Because of this, he gets a job running security for a big international conglomerate. conglomerate. Did I say that correct? (laughs) You can never say that. (laughs) One of those times. Yeah. We'll (laughs) edit it together. Cool. My whole feeling is that we're going to do a sequel. Let's not have him rejoin the service. He's going to be in a private sector. It's more like a James Bond movie, an adventure about a guy who is now highly trained civilian with a military background. It all takes place in a very compressed time frame. Radon Chung is back and she plays a lawyer this time. Mm-hmm. Arnold's schedule is s- great
3: in glasses. <laughs> Hell yeah. So <laughs> okay. it's not the same character. It's no, a good, no. <laughs> yeah.
1: He's just, well, he just really changed the character's name. So <laughs> I mean, all right. So I have this and then I have like a little quote. Well, I was so, going to say uh, it is so,
3: interesting, though, that he clearly carried over that element he noted liking into Die Hard 2. Because that's one of the things in Die Hard is that uh, McLean is like now famous and like people recognize him at the airport.
1: Oh, yeah. Check you out. You are correct. Uh, yeah, so he said Arnold's schedule is so booked that Commando 2 won't be filmed until next spring, so it will be released in October 1988. So I th- and, um, and so around that same time, Schwarzenegger said, um, I liked t- about how he picks films. He says, I like to improvise. I feel secure. I know things are going well, so I can wait until Red Heat is finished and read scripts, and talk to directors, and see what's around. What hits me the right way. It could be a war movie, it could be a prison movie. One thing's written for me right now. It could be Commando 2, it could be Terminator 2. It could be any of these, whatever I feel like doing next spring.
3: I am a god.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so I have a feeling like, you know, when it didn't go in 88, i have a feeling that we kind of got a red heat and twins instead of commando 2
2: because well,
1: then much all...
3: rather had commando 2 than yeah. red heat
2: also sitting around waiting till red heat was done probably wasn't the best idea because <laughs>
1: <Yeah. laughs> like in yeah because like after 87 and 88 he was attached to sergeant rock which was about to happen and it didn't uh, he was also attached to total recall uh, and Watchmen and a movie called Duke and Fluffy
3: I forgot he was going to be I think he was going to be Dr. Manhattan and yeah. Watchmen very, a very different version of that guy it would have been like
1: Mr. Freeze <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> his Mr. Freeze is Dr. Manhattan oh, and it, was it Robin watch Williams watch this <laughs> Robin Williams was Rorschach I believe also oh, that in that version uh, and then uh, yeah and then 89 Darabont did this revision where as we can see from that last interview it feels like you know, he added on that third act and he added on the prison. I'm not sure, but reading that article I just did where the, at first the whole thing took place in L.A. That's
3: how I'm thinking the Die Hard thing happened. Is someone yeah. probably at some point on the internet described the original script. It was, it was basically Die Hard. Yeah, but... like yeah. And D'Souza wrote both. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... And then... Yeah, and then... And maybe he even stole some of his stuff from his original Commando script to put into Die Hard. Because Die Hard was 88, know. right? So it yeah. would have been
2: after... Yeah. Susa was talking about that script, mm-hmm. and then yeah, and then
1: 19, January 1990, it was like announced he was attached to Twins Two, Commando Two, Predator Two, Terminator Two, Conan Three, and he said participation in Terminator Two is unlikely, which we know That's is the untrue. only one that happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then yeah, pretty much after that, Commando Two just stops coming up, and he does total recall
2: and i wonder if rambo 3 doing horribly in 1990 stopped commando 2 from happening cuz that was like a massive flop if i
3: yeah, remember yeah that was one of the most expensive movies mm-hmm. ever it was made the, at the most it yeah. was the most yeah, yeah. Maybe, and then it
1: did nothing it was supposed to have a completely different ending it was supposed to go out in rambo 3 that third act was supposed to take place like in the mountains in the snow yeah. and because it went so over budget they cut all that out
0: well, no, snow's too expensive.
1: Yeah, yeah. Snow is too expensive. So that's why. And he did. Rock, I don't know. He
3: spent all their money buying goat heads for that one weird <laughs> sports scene. Yeah. So that's you know that's the
1: speculation of Commando too. It's just uh, yeah. I think he did term, um, Red Heat, Twins, and everything else instead of it pretty it's, much. It
0: also just reading through it and hearing about it, it could never have existed outside of the 80s. No, no. Like the whole <laughs> like. Like, the cocaine, the Contra Wars, like, all of that <laughs> stuff was so wrapped up between, like, 1987 and 1989. There's no way. <laughs> yeah.
3: But, guess wrapping up, uh, do you guys wish it had existed that we lived in a world that had this Commando 2? Yeah, of course.
0: I mean, I think we should go shoot the script.
3: <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Fuck <laughs> <You know? laughs> Red Heat and take me Commando 2. Yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, like, Movie God, Twins, Red Heat or Commando 2, I
0: think it's...
1: Yes. Yeah, <laughs> obvi- <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean,
0: even obvi- even in this state, it would have been a glorious, wonderful mess. Oh, yeah. But- I wonder who was supposed to
2: direct it, if it was going to be Lester, or they even had a director ever attached. Or What
0: was Lester's film after Commando?
2: Was it Armed and Dangerous? Maybe. Because Showdown and Little Tokyo and <sighs> Class of 1999 were both in the early 90s. Yeah, you're right. God, you
1: ever notice in Little Tokyo that Dolph Lundgren gets shot in the heart at the ending and then he <laughs> continues to sword fight with the fuck, what's his nuts from Moral Combat? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It's like literally a gun wound in the middle of his heart and he has a fucking sword fight. He's sweetish. He's tough. <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: Dolph Lundgren is heartless. Yeah. <laughs> He's heartless. <laughs>
3: <Yes>. <laughs> Joke's on you. I have no heart. Um... Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much to Josh and Joe. Uh, where can you guys be found on the social medias if you want people to find you?
2: Uh, I'm just on Twitter and Instagram, Joe Begus. Yeah, just
0: Josh Ethier on both. I can and be found harassing Josh Miller and Steve Scarlato all the time. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and I always do like to say it's pronounced Ethier, not oh, yeah. Ethier.
0: No, yeah, it's just Ethier. It's very Anglicized.
3: Are people constantly saying both your names wrong? Is this just like every yeah. intro for every <laughs> I want film you guys festival? to pronounce
2: my name right now. <laughs> Bigas.
3: Yeah, you're right. <laughs> oh, shit. I, so I've been what? saying it wrong the whole... Yeah, get in it's line, because, Steve. <laughs> it's remember just remember because B-Ghost is so fun to say. <laughs> it remember, it, remember it is. Remember the end of
1: Balls of Fury when he's like, Fang? I've been calling you Fang the whole movie. You know, it's me with Joe. I've been knowing you for how many years I keep calling you the wrong name. Yeah, I just
2: don't really correct people anymore unless they specifically are about to introduce me and go, how do you pronounce your name? Other than that, I just, that's whatever. So it's Vegas. Like, yeah. So like you just got to say right. it really fast. It's like B E E G U S. That's how it's pronounced.
3: Oh, right much. My name just... was Bigoski. and then
2: my family chopped it down when they came over here.
0: Thank God. <laughs>
3: well I love that I feel like everyone's your name is like they're they're trying to be like good Americans, like oh I bet most people say it Ethier, but I'm gonna say it the correct way.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> and I say it I got better since I moved to LA because there's the, the guy who used to play for the Dodgers, Andre Andre Ethier. So now people actually say it correctly. But growing up in the East Coast, never.
1: Right. Well, we'll definitely check out VFW, Bliss, and Josh has an awesome short called Gutter, which is pretty dope, too.
0: So Yeah, I'd plug
3: Beyond Fest, but this will air long after Beyond Fest. We hope that
0: you were at Beyond Fest. But wait, you
3: were saying last night you are going to put it up on YouTube, so it'll probably be up on YouTube. Yeah, I'm just going to throw it up. What's it called?
0: called Gutter, and features a lot of the same crew that we use on the next two movies, which are the two that will be coming out towards the end of the year.
2: Cool. And it all comes full circle, too, because David Patrick Kelly was in Commando last all night and is right. also in
3: VFW.
0: And Billy Sadler from uh, Die, Die Hard 2. Die Hard
3: All the D'Souza guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah, and then what's his nuts? Uh, Steven Lang. Mm-hmm. What was he in? I forgot. I'm going nowhere with this. <laughs> 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 I brought Bandit in a hand earlier. Yeah.
3: Well, he there was, in Tombstone, <laughs> oh my was God, not Tombstone, which was not D'Souza, but could have been. It has that same. Spot. I mean,
0: that totally could have been a Walter Hill, Steven D'Souza movie. I mean, I bet movie. if we went
3: back, he probably <laughs> was in some D'Souza well, movie. It was, Co- just,
2: it was Cosmetos yeah. who directed Rambo 2, which basically influenced Commando. Yeah, I mean, so it all comes full circle.
0: It's all connected to VFW. It was, yeah. Wasn't <laughs> it Stallone who told Kurt Russell, if you want a director, you can push around, hire Cosmetos, and that's how Cosmetos got the job on Tombstone? Wow. Holy oh, shit. Yeah.
1: and and what's his nuts was the bad guy in Conan and which was the remake Stephen Lang right yep the, oh yeah, the Conan I always defend
3: alright well now we're really I know we're reaching, far. All reaching. Right. <laughs> uh, and you can find Steve and I on social media as well Steve is easier to look up than I am I suppose I am Josh S. Miller on Instagram and you can find us Best Movies Ever Made is on Instagram and we're on Twitter as at Never Made Film um, and thanks for joining us and if you're a fan of the podcast you may want to check out Electric Surge's other podcasts like the 430 movie Every Friday in which a group of writers and producers curate fantasy theme weeks of classic movies and Trek Trexperts, the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life available every Saturday wherever you listen to podcasts also thanks to everyone here at uh, Electric Surge Network like Bill Ritter and our producers Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman so until next time this is Steven Scarlatta and I'm Josh Miller saying we won't see you at the movies